This is American Real, where we aim to inspire, empower, and enlighten you through the stories of our guests. Here's your host, Roger Brooks. For people that are wanting to jump into this business or this hobby, whatever you want to call it, can you talk about some of the things that goes on behind the scenes before you actually prepare for a show? Because it's a lot of work. There's a lot of prep that goes into a show, surprise, surprise. You get a better interviewee and a better interview subject because they realize, oh, this person actually cares. That never happens. Let me actually try hard and tell good stories and you know, be a little bit more vulnerable than before and have a little bit more fun. And that's what makes for a good interview. And if you're really funny, you can do that and you can make it funny. And if you're really uh, some somehow talented at being a host, then you can maybe turn that into something. But guys like uh, guys like me, we just have to outwork everyone else. And that seems to be doing the trick. And, and I'm fine with that being my competitive advantage. Let me guess, you're an entrepreneur looking for ways to grow your business online. And you've probably tried everything to grow your business, including social media, SEO, even paid ads, only to find out that nothing truly works. So what if I told you that writing a book that goes on to become a bestseller is the magic wand, and that you can do it in as little as 30 days, two weeks, or even over a weekend in some cases, without spending more than 10 minutes a day. Would you be interested? My name is Roger Brooks, and I'm the founder and host of American Real TV, where I interview world-class guests to empower others through the essence of story. But I didn't get here overnight, and my mission certainly doesn't end here. Ever since I was a little boy, it's been my dream to empower others through the craft of writing and storytelling. And throughout my life, I came across several mentors who pushed me toward my passion for writing books and helping others to do the same. There is no greater joy than to be working with aspiring authors and to help them establish true credibility within their industry by writing and publishing their first book, which I'm proud to say have all gone on to become bestsellers. Now, you're seeing this video because I just opened enrollment for my new book writing program, where I promise to take you from page one to published in 90 days or less. I will be personally working with you to overcome the same fears and obstacles that kept me from pursuing my dreams all of those years. Simply click on the link below to see how I could help you become a first-time best-selling author. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Welcome to The Roger Brooks Show. I am Roger Brooks, and today our very special guest is Jordan Harbinger. You are the creator of The Jordan Harbinger Show, where you interview leading entrepreneurs, celebrities, writers, and experts about psychology, performance, life, and success. For all the work in the field, Forbes named you one of the 50 best relationship builders in the world, and Inc. Magazine recently called you the Larry King of podcasting. Your podcast promises that people will learn new strategies, perspectives, and tactics that they won't find anywhere else and take those insights into their own life so that they can live what they listen. Jordan, welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks for having me on. You know, it's funny uh, that Inc. magazine piece that said the Larry King of podcasting, funny background story that I don't think too many people know. It used to say the Charlie Rose of podcasting. And then I don't know if you're familiar with what happened with him, but this article came oh, yeah. out. And, and one choice phrase from the article was brimming with feces. So oh. I'll just, I won't fill in any of the blanks here, but uh, it had to do with some intern. And it was during this whole sort of like bubble up of, of all these, the Matt Lauer thing. And so right. I get a call for, at like three o'clock in the morning from one of our writers who happens to live in Paris. And he goes, I'm really sorry to wake you up, but I think you should change your byline. And I said, this better be important. What is like, you better be in prison. <laughs> You know, you better be in like the the Bastille or whatever right now. Like, where? What are you calling me for? And he's like, check this out. And I go, oh yeah. So I go, go ahead. Here's the login to the website. You're an admin now. Go ahead and change that. Uh, but delete that byline. And then we wrote immediately to Inc. And we were like, unusual request. Normally wouldn't ask. But can you change that to just literally anyone else? Amazing. And they went, well, considering the circumstances. We're going to allow it. We don't usually do this, but we kind of feel like we're on the same page as you. So we had to change that. And I thought it was hysterical because it, the article probably had come out a month before that. And I, I love Charlie Rose's show. I think he's so good at what he does, but you just don't want to be the guy who is the brimming with feces of podcasting, you know, not, not yeah. good, not a good look. No, no doubt. No doubt. That's, that's an interesting story. And thanks for sharing it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just wanted to open up by just saying thanks, you know, thanks for giving back. Mm. And, you know, you don't have to do these podcasts all the time. And my question is, why do you do it? Why do you give back? Um, I honestly enjoy this process. Sure, if I do a show where the host isn't experienced at all, it can be kind of painful. I mean, I try not to be, I'm just trying not to be a dick about it, but like, it can be a little bit painful sometimes when somebody's like, so, and they're just like, what do I ask now? And they don't have anything and they're not interested in you or anything that you've done. That can be a little bit brutal. But for me, I enjoy being on both. Well, I almost said both sides of the mic, but you're technically always in front of the mic, I guess, both sides of the equation in, in an interview. It also gives me ideas for how to become a better host because uh, I can say I rarely do a show where I don't learn something where I go, I should do that. Or, uh, which happens a lot as well, ooh, I'm, I need to make sure I never do that. You know, And so I do learn on both sides of the equation. And I think it's important for people who get interviewed a lot to interview other people, at least sometimes, even if it's not for their own show, and vice versa. You know, They should be interviewing other people. If you're an interviewer, you should get interviewed here and there because you'll find out these little things and these little holes in your process or you'll get ideas from other people. And you also find like, oh, okay. I, I got interviewed the other day and I had a closet door behind me and I said, I need to do a Zoom background. Like that's what these things should be used for. Everybody's making, oh look, it's, it's like my cat's behind me, man. Isn't that cool? And I'm like, no, 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 no. We should be branding these. You don't need it. You have a cool background. But I had like a closet in, in a, a curtain in a box, you know? and that just seemed like amateur hour. So I do learn whether it's visual, audio, interview skills. Uh, also, I, I think for co community of podcasting in the first place, it's an important thing to have and to support because before the Joe Rogan deal, I think a lot of people still went podcasting. I mean, literally, I think this is a while ago, Howard Stern several years ago, literally said, podcasting is just a bunch of losers. And I remember being like, 
he's going to eat those words. It's only a matter of time till Howard Stern has a podcast. Now, he still doesn't have one, and he may never will, but it doesn't matter because Joe Rogan got a deal that I think was 10 something. His audience is 10 times larger than Howard Stern ever was or something like that. I mean, that's podcasting is b- the radio now. You can add up all the top radio hosts, and you don't have the audience that podcasting has in terms of like engagement. You might have numbers, but you don't have engagement. Ad, if you need to ask, ask an advertising agency and say, how much do you pay for C, at CPM on a radio? Oh, four bucks, eight bucks, three bucks. How much do you get for a podcast? 25 bucks, 40 bucks, yeah. 35 bucks somewhere. So who's a more valuable audience? You know, who, who got a big ass deal from Spotify that's one year or three years and is going to get renewed? We don't even know how much it was. A hundred million on paper, but they said there's performance bonuses. I worked on Wall Street. Bonuses are sometimes larger than your salary. So we don't know what those bonuses are. They could be another $200 million. Is that, is that Joe Rogan deal going to change the game, Jordan? You know, it, it might. A lot of people who are sort of podcasting purists, and I would say the, that I'm not one of those people, I don't really know. Those people are like, yeah, it's not really a podcast anymore because it's not available in an open RSS environment and blah, 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 blah. I, I don't really care about that as much until I see Spotify's next move. Like if, it's, if it starts to YouTube the whole thing and you can't, not that I have a real big problem with YouTube, but if they start to censor more or they do more controlled speech or they say, hey, look, we're advertising on your stuff and there's nothing you can do about it. And yeah, we're gonna have dick pills on your show and you can't stop us. Like that becomes problematic. But I think for... As far as the industry being changed, aside from the technology, I think it's put us on the map in a bigger way. Like, no surprise for you, no surprise for me, no surprise for anybody else involved in podcasting, but you're going to see these financial, I mean, Spotify stock price went through, I think it went up like X number percent. It went up like $5 billion or $2 billion or something like that uh, after the announcement. That means Wall Street's paying attention. And what that means is that businesses are paying attention, which means advertisers are paying attention, advertising agencies are paying attention, which means big companies and brands are paying attention. And they're not just gonna go, oh, we need to get on Joe Rogan. Like there's gonna be plenty of that, but there's gonna be so much of that that they're gonna go, $25,000 for an ad spot? Where do we dip our feet in the water? And then it's gonna be you, it's gonna be me, it's gonna be everybody else who runs a decently sized show and program but is also doing something that is brand friendly. I mean, there's a lot of people that won't go on Joe Rogan because he has a flat earther or some other kook on there. And there's a lot of brands that just aren't into that. But, you know, you and I tend to have maybe a little bit more palatable guests depending. So yes, it's a game changer, but it's not going to be one of those where we're going to see a ton of immediate influx of advertising dollars, for example. Well, also COVID-19 is not helping. The economy's in the toilet. But I think next year you're going to start to see, oh, hey, people with big shows, these people are pulling weight. And like maybe other big media companies like YouTube and Apple are going to go, huh, maybe we should snap up some of these other hosts, some of these other shows, or even make some of our own programs. Yeah, that's my thought process as well. I, I'm, I'm sure that's coming next. So let's, let's get into this a little bit because there's a lot of people that still, I mean, really podcasting is still in its infancy here we are, you know, and I think there's what over close to a million. There's over a million, but I think active, active, like releasing something every month or, or more is somewhere under, you know, I don't have this fresh, but it's around 300,000. I think there are 2000 new podcasts 
I think every, it's either every week or every day. I it's think it can't, number. it's a huge amount. It, I wish I had this data in front of me because my, my buddy Daniel J. Lewis tracks this stuff. And I remember when we hit a million because he sent out this, this sort of press release like, hey, we hit a million. And it was, I think, in March. So That's awesome. it, it's, we've that. been cooking. It, it, most of them are not active. Most people have pod faded where they gave up and they don't care anymore. But that still means that there's like 300,000 active shows in Apple Podcasts, which I think is the benchmark, which is just nuts. That doesn't even count YouTube shows that say that they're podcasts. It is. It's nuts. And for people that are wanting to jump into this business or this hobby, whatever you want to call it, can you give a little bit of advice? Because I know you've talked about this in the past, but I think it's crucial, especially for young people getting into this interview prep, know who your guest is, can you talk about some of the things that goes on behind the scenes before you actually prepare for a show? Because it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. It's done week after week, or some people are doing it even daily. Absolutely, yeah. There is a lot of prep that goes into a show. Surprise, surprise. Uh, I will read the whole book. I talk to journalist friends of mine, and, and they'll go, "Oh yeah, what do you do to prepare for your shows? You know, and uh, the, what do you look at mostly digital sources and da da da." And because I'll ask them, like, "Hey, how did you prepare for that fifteen-minute interview with the Secretary of State or or whoever?" And they'll, they'll say, oh, well, I looked at her bio and I've, I Googled a talk she gave or something. And I'm like, okay, 15 minute interview, you're gonna ask the same crap. But it's no big surprise why journalists are constantly disappointing us. They'll go, what do you think is next? You know, and it, that's like this generic filler five minute answer. And that might even be one of the three questions they have. But, but when I prep, I know that I have the luxury here on podcasting, on a podcast to do like a, hour, hour and a half long interview with somebody. And so, of course, what I do is read the entire book. And that's where you get the best bits. Because yes, you're not going to get uh, just the general idea of, let's say, an evolutionary psychologist giving you the same three tips they gave in their TED Talk. But you can get a lot of interesting information about somebody that makes somebody who they are. And what I mean by that is, I read the foreword to, this is an ancient example, but I read a foreword to a book about infectious diseases. I read the whole book, but I read the foreword too, and most people never do that. And the foreword was like by this doctor's relative or something like that, and she had been adopted from an African country, and I forget which now, like Mali or something. And she dedicated the book to her parents, her adopted parents. And so the first question was, well, I know you've been adopted. You were adopted from Africa. Do you think that one of the reasons you got into infectious diseases was because you came from a place with a lot of infectious diseases? And just, he was like, you know what? It's so funny. My entire career is based on this and nobody ever asks me that. And it seems like such an obvious connection for me. And yet I don't think I've ever been asked that before. And I thought that's because these a-holes aren't reading your book. Right. Like they look at your work and go, oh, uh, infectious diseases, are we ever going to see a cure for malaria? And she's like, no, well, you know, uh, fine. It's going to be, yeah, influenza is the biggest threat. Thanks, bye. Nobody ever asks her these deep questions. And so she was really excited to be there. And even if you don't care about the doctor's personal reasons for getting into that subject area, you get a better interviewee and a better interview subject because they realize, oh, this person actually cares. Yes. That never happens. Let me actually try hard and tell good stories and you know, be a little bit more vulnerable than before and have a little bit more fun. And that's what makes for a good interview. And if you just prepare by watching what other journalists are doing or by watching their TED Talk, you're just going to get the same thing as everyone else. And if you're really funny, you can do that and you can make it funny. And if you're really uh, some, somehow talented at being a host, 
which I don't think I am particularly, then you can maybe turn that into something. But guys like, uh, guys like me, we just have to outwork everyone else. And that seems to be doing the trick. And, and I'm fine with that being my competitive advantage. That's great. And isn't that the opportunity for people to really care? That's, that, that's the whole yeah. thing. And you've said this before, like, you know, it's about the viewer. It's about the listener on the other end. It's not about you and me right now. I mean, obviously this is a great moment. Um, we want to remain present, mm-hmm. uh, but it's really about the people listening. And, and, and that's great that, that you just said that because for anyone going into podcasting, I think that is rule number one is to really, really do your research and homework so that you show up in the best possible way, right? Create massive impact. Yeah, you're right. There's something to be said for being in service to the audience. Now, I'm a, a non-practicing attorney. And so yeah. when you're a lawyer, you have a code of ethics. You take an oath, you know, to the state bar of New York or wherever you pass the bar. And one of the things that they test you for, test, it's a light test, you know, the ethics test, as you might imagine. But one of the things that you know you have to do as an attorney is you have a fiduciary duty to your client. And what that means is you have to treat the client like you would treat yourself or somebody, you know, your own brother, for example, somebody whose best interest you have in mind. And if I'm saying spend an hour with me, what would I want to spend an hour learning and doing? And if the, and the answer is never, oh, well, I've got a half-assed conversation with a few ads in it that I needed to put out because I want to get a new motorcycle. That's never the answer. The answer is, this is the best thing that I could bring to the table and I think it's worth your time and now I am producing this and giving this to you and there are a few ads in there to make this something I can do without begging for food on the side of the road in my spare time. Um, You know, I have to make a living doing this. But other than that, and even the ads I try to make interesting, entertaining and funny, and that the reason is also because I have a duty to my clients. Like if I'm gonna say, hey, don't skip the ads, it's not like, hey, don't skip the ads because if you do, you're a bad person. It's, hey, don't skip the ads because you're going to miss something. And it might not be your favorite part of the show, but it helps both of us because it's part of the show. It's interesting. It's funny. And that's how I get paid so I can produce more of this. Now, if, imagine if media producers always had that fiduciary duty. Imagine if journalists went, I can't lie. I'm not supposed to lie. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to, even if I find something and I turn out to be wrong, that's one thing, but I'm not going to lie to you to get clicks or to get your attention. We would all be in a better place. And you see lawyers who violate their, their ethics, but they're not supposed to. They're supposed to get disbarred when they do that. We don't do that to media creators. And I think we should. Yeah. Do you see it changing, Jordan? I mean, do you see the whole media world changing as podcasts and, and people like yourself rise and you know and get more popularity and people i think people are craving this right i mean the news is just so negative and and as you said there's just tons of lies tons of lies i think the relationship that you have with your audience is this is kind of a corny word sacrosanct though right it's kind of sacred in that if you lie to your audience you should expect negative consequences from that. And, and we, we talked before the show about somebody who's lying to their audience on a regular basis now and has done so in exchange for money, and which is sad. Money clicks, whatever you want to call it. And they're trading, what they may or may not realize they're doing, they're getting a larger audience of kooks, but they're trading that audience that they had, which was smart, that trusted them, that stuck with them through thick and thin, that was supporting them through hard times. They traded that audience for a temporary influx of cash 
and a larger audience of people that will leave on a drop of a hat when they find some other more interesting thing that's even more kooky or their kooky flavor of the day. So now you got to chase those people around. You're herding cats and your grand prize is you have a dumbass audience now for however long you can hold on to them. I mean, no thanks. So it's better for journalists and media creators to treat their core group of a hundred, a thousand, 10,000 fans or however, you know, a hundred thousand fans to treat them like you would treat your own relatives. And that doesn't mean you have to be polite all the time or whatever. It means, you know, if your cousin comes up and says, I did something bad, you go, well, you're a knucklehead and you shouldn't do that again. You can treat him with tough love, but you wouldn't say, unless you're selling a multi-level marketing scheme, you wouldn't say, buy this. It's going to be good for you, even though I know it's going to be bad for them, but I get money. Like those are the people that destroy, you would destroy your familial relationships when you sell somebody uh, Herbalife, right? Or whatever. You ruin your relationships with those people. People who are in media should realize that we're doing the exact same thing. We have to stand up for what we believe in, but what we believe in cannot be just, I believe in making money for myself. I believe in attention. We have to stand up for what we believe in and that belief should be in line with what is best for our audience. And I know that sounds a little weird and Pollyanna for a lot of people, but even if you're a complete sociopath, let's assume right now that you have no ethics at all. It's still a better strategy long-term to have your audience's best interest in mind because as soon as people find out that you don't and the jig will always fall, like you will always crumble at some point even guys like Alex Jones have people who go, oh yeah, wait, this is obviously BS, right? And then he gets deplatformed because other people are like, all right, I can't, I've had enough crazy. You end up losing. Like imagine if somebody who was, and I, I, I hate that I'm using this word for Alex Jones, but the dude is, is in a way talented. Uh, and if you don't know who Alex Jones is, he's like an Infowars. He's like, turn the freaking frogs gay, right? He's like the professional wrestling of radio and, and, and uh, video streaming. If he had done a news show that wasn't complete BS and he had done something else that was maybe wild and entertaining and silly, but wasn't just made up garbage, he would be so much more wealthy than he is now because he would have advertisers instead of selling male vitality dick pills. He would be able to be on big platforms instead of getting banned from YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and everywhere else. And he would have one of the largest or a large ass talk show of people that probably wouldn't necessarily appeal to me, but... What if the guy just did a wrestling show? He could have the biggest one in the world and he'd be making millions, tens of millions of dollars instead of going and getting sued all the time by people whose kids got killed at Sandy Hook. I mean, how do you look in the mirror? You know, and, and what he did was at some point, I bet if we could get inside that, that head, he would say, he would regret some of this. You know, his legacy is I made crap up and hurt people and I did it for not even an impressive amount of money. Yeah, for what? For what? For what? Your legacy is trash and you have what? A nice house in Florida? Who cares? You know, who cares? Nobody will miss you when you are gone. They will move on to someone else. No one's going to say that guy stood up for X, Y, and Z. Your kids are probably not going to want to admit they're related to you. I mean, this is not a good life that you have built for yourself when you were like that. And it's avoidable. That's The sad part is it's avoidable. If you play the long game, that's why I say, even if you're a total sociopath, if you look at your own long-term best interests only and you don't care about anyone else, it's still better to have integrity or at least the appearance of integrity over the long-term and not just be a bunch of, not just have a bunch of BS on your uh, repertoire because you will do better long-term. And I think, I'd like to think that somebody like Joe Rogan is evidence of that. I mean, he's, he likes 
not likes to, but he will admit when he's wrong. I remember he believed in like flat earth and that now he's like, that was dumb. (laughs) So a lot of his audience goes, and he admitted it. Yeah. And that could not have been easy, right? To go, oh my God, I embarrassed myself in front of 11 million people. And that was wrong. And I'm not just going to double down on this. I'm going to say like, holy crap, what, what was I thinking? And, and even some of the other things that he believes or pretends to believe, I think later on, he will also at some point realize, oh, that was kind of silly and clearly false. Uh, that was dumb. I probably shouldn't have done that. Like, it's interesting to see how somebody like that does and find me a better paid media personality right now. I guess you could throw Oprah in the ring, but you know, eh, is she active right now? Kind of, but Oprah Super Soul Sunday podcast. I don't see that creeping up on even you or me, let alone Joe Rogan. No, no. And as Jocko says, take extreme ownership. And and that's what Joe did, which, which was good. Yeah. So Jordan, let's help some people. Let's talk about careers. I know you like to talk a lot about this. Um, In the past, you've, 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 you've talked about taking off the golden handcuffs and why it's hard for people to do that. And, to leave a career they hate. Can you get into that a little bit? It's just let's help some people, especially post-corona as we you know, get through this. And a lot of people have a lot of time to think and they're thinking, hmm, I don't know if I wanna go back to that same career. You know, that's a, a good point. I think for a lot of people who don't wanna go back into their career, the best thing you can be doing right now is is networking. And and a lot of people hate the word networking because they think it's like, oh, I got to throw business cards at people and do these stupid mixers where I go in and I'm like, oh, hey, bub, how are you? And oh, yeah, when I'm ready to buy a used car, I'm going to call you, you know, hand finger guns. Like, that's what people think networking is. And it's not that at all. Networking the way I would teach it or the way I do teach it, I should say. And, and just to sort of bring up by way of qualification, I'm not one of those people who's like, go print up a hundred business cards. I teach uh, what you might call networking, but probably you'd call something else, like social engineering to CIA, Secret Service, MI6, police, federal, state police officers, and a lot of corporations, Apple, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever. And the course that I teach has a lot of, I tailor it for each agency, of course, but for the average civilian, what I would say is a lot of these networking tips, tactics, that come from our six minute networking course, which by the way is free. I love I don't, that, by the way. What's that? Six minute networking? Yeah, that's great. Five minute networking was taken, so it's six minute networking. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Um, it's it's free. It's at jordanharbinger.com slash course. And I, that's the last time I'll plug it because I feel like that's annoying when people do that. But it's it's a free thing that I do. You don't have to enter your card or anything. And the reason that I do that is the more people that have these skills, the better off actually we are all going to be. Um, And what I mean by that is if we have a set of networking skills where we're constantly, one of the rules is ABG, always be giving. So you've probably seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, where he's like, ABC, always be closing. ABG is always be giving or always be generous. And what this means is if somebody says, hey, do you know anybody that does this? I really need that uh, web designer or something like that. I don't go, hmm, what's in it for me? I'm not a web designer. Maybe I'm going to ask this person for something. I'm not going to, I just don't even make that part of the equation. I just go, yes, here's somebody I know that did my site. They're really good. I'll refer you. I'm, I'm not doing it for cash. I'm not doing it for a referral bonus. If that comes later, great. But I'm not, again, fiduciary duty. I'm not making that a part of the equation. I will simply make that introduction. And I don't go, aha, now Roger owes me one. So when I ask him for this, I'm going to say, hey, remember when I hooked up with that web guy? It's always give without the expectation of getting something in return and without the attachment 
to getting something in return. And you do this over and over and over, and you won't ever think, I'm getting screwed over, I'm getting the short end of the stick. And the reason that this is important is because if you keep score, that's when you start screwing with your relationships. Like if I go, man, I drove Roger to the airport, and then when I asked him to drive me to the airport, he said he had to take his dog to the vet. What a, you know what? That guy's selfish. I bet you that's a lie. He probably doesn't even have a dog. What a jerk. I hate him. I knew I never liked that guy. Like you do this in your head, even if, you, even if that example sounds ridiculous, people do that in their head a lot. And in a real example, a more realistic one might be, hey, uh, Jordan, can you introduce me to uh, a Kobe? Uh, God, that's a bad example. Who was who a celebrity I had on my show that recently here? Ben Horowitz from Andreessen Horowitz, right? He's a, a Reed Hoffman who founded LinkedIn. Like these are wealthy guys and people go, can you introduce me to them? Uh, and when I had Kobe Bryant on the show, people would say, can you introduce me? And I'd say, I really, I can't, I can introduce you to his team. They're going to say no, but then you get on their little list and then eventually you get lucky. And that's kind of how this game works with interviewing people of that stature. And people would go, oh, okay, fine, right, fine. But what if you introduced me to somebody and then you asked me and I said, well, they asked me not to introduce them to anyone. You might think, oh, Jordan's holding out on me. He's selfish. And you start to poison our relationship. And then next time I'm like, hey, Roger, let's go grab a drink. Let's get a beer. You're, you're like, well, pfft. Not with you, you selfish prick. And I don't even know what's going on. You know, I think we're buddies, but you think you think I've been using you and it's all because you are keeping score. So you ruin your own relationship with me and I'm mystified. And we do this in dating, we do it in business, we do it in, in every sort of facet of our lives. And you see family members that are pissed off at like their cousin for not picking up the dinner tab because I picked it up twice in a row and the guy forgot relax, you know, so you have to be really careful. So it's ABG, always be generous. Don't keep score. And you want to make sure that you make that and inter sort of internalize that as a part of your life. Because if you start keeping score, you'll screw it up. If you start thinking what's in it for me, you won't capitalize on all the opportunities you have to help other people. And this again is not Pollyanna. Even if we're, let's say a total sociopath, selfish prick, it's still better for me to help as many people as possible because then a certain percentage of those people will wanna help me in return. And even if it's 1%, if I'm not keeping score, I don't care. It just looks like I got a free 1% of awesome opportunities. And that, I try to live my life by that. And sometimes it's hard, you know, cause sometimes people take advantage of you and you have to draw the line somewhere. But for most people, it's worked out really, really well. And it results in opportunities that you'd never think you have. And then you turn around and you've got this great reputation as somebody who helps as many people as you can. And you're thinking, well, I'm kind of doing it for you, but I'm kind of also doing it for me. But I guess it doesn't really matter because the effect is everybody's happy and it's win-win all around. I've introduced people to each other that started a business and they'll say something like, hey, Jordan, we have a surprise for you. Can you come you know, to Toronto? We got this. And they'll take me out to this super awesome dinner and I'll go, hey, cool, but why? And they'll go, well, you introduced us. We started this super successful business that we just exited because you introduced us. I don't even remember. Yeah, that's, you know, and I, I've been on the other side of it too where I've introduced people and they've actually forgotten. And it'll be, you know, I, I could think of one particular case where I've introduced uh, someone who's worked for this company. He's done really well. Mm -hmm. He forgot that. And it's okay. Like you say, you can't mm -hmm. keep score. And I'll tell you what, being of service to people, and I'm so glad we talked about this because if anything comes out of this interview, because I know you're, we're up against time here, um, that's one thing. It's just be of service without any conditions, right? We mm -hmm. don't expect anything in return. It is a law of the universe. You know, I believe that, that 
we, you know, we reap what we sow, you know, we, the more we give, the more we get, you know, it's yeah. just, it's just a law of life. Well, there's a, there are psychological research concepts that back this up. Robert Cialdini's book on influence, who yeah. everybody should read that. It's like one of the Bibles of like persuasion and influence. He writes about the law of reciprocity. And this is not like, imagine a Ferrari and it shows up in your driveway. It's not like law of attraction type stuff. This is like people feel, people who are emotionally healthy, that is, when somebody helps you, you feel like you should help them back. And there, he gives these examples of these monks at airports who hand out flowers. And then they later, they realize that everyone, these monks are going to the garbage can and they're picking out the flowers that people throw away, which to him, to Cialdini, proved that they knew people were throwing the flowers away, but they still gave the flowers out anyway, even though like all, everyone threw them away. The reason they gave them out was because it creates a reciprocity need it creates like a vacuum and you give the guy a five dollar bill for his buddhist temple or whatever the hell it's for i can't remember now and then you go throw it away and they go and get it out and so they know whatever they're doing is not of value flower wise but it just is the trigger for them to get more donations i i'm sure at some point somebody said hey senior monk we don't need these flowers everyone just throws them away and then they stopped for a week and they went dude nobody's donating and they're like bring the flowers back this is a law of human nature that most of us follow because we are emotionally healthy. It's like a social program that runs in the background of our brain. So take advantage of that as much as possible. You know, this is, again, it's not Pollyanna. It's even if you're the most selfish bastard in the world, the best strategy is still to help as many people as you can. So um, Jordan, you've interviewed some amazing guests on your show, but one of them is no longer with us. And um, that's Kobe Bryant. Uh, it, was a, mm -hmm. it was a wonderful interview. One of the last things Kobe said to you in your interview was time has no mercy. And I thought that was pretty, when I, when I listened to it, I just got the chills. Yeah. Um, talk about that a little bit. Talk about human life. Talk about your interview with, with Kobe and how we really, I mean, we hear this all the time as you know, it's cliche, but we cannot take life for granted. Right. Yeah. You know, when I did that interview with him, it was, kind of no obviously nobody knew he was gonna go anywhere i mean we were hanging out having fun he was a little bit late and he goes you know it's okay this is good we'll do another one next year and i thought great cool i'm like on the list you know for kobe bryant like his team likes me his assistants uh, you know was like a friend of a friend and it went well and all these different things and, and i was really stoked but yeah he talked about mortality he talked about time has no mercy and I thought to myself, because I'm 40 and I think he was like 41, 42, and he has kids and I have little kids. And we, we talked about that after the show, after the cameras were off, after we stopped recording. And we were talking about our kids and how he's like, there's, he's like, I know people think I'm full of crap about this, but he's like, they really are the most important thing. And if you look at his Instagram or if you looked at what it was, his Instagram, all it was was like his daughter's playing sports. Like it wasn't like cool branded kobe bryant stuff like he was literally going that was the signal where he was like look this is about my kids i'm done i'm writing children's books he's writing children's books he's taking photos of his kids he's talking about his kids he's helping coach his kids programs he's going and helping other people like he was dedicating himself to that for the the second act and that was what we were talking about was this is your second act like you've got a lot of big plans and he's like yeah but my biggest plan is to be a good dad so it was really extra sad when that whole thing uh, came to an end because 
one, when it was a celebrity death, usually I'm like, okay, well, I didn't know them, so, but I knew him in, in some way, so that was a little, little closer to home. But the fact was, he wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to start a protein shake company and make a billion dollars and it's going to be awesome. He was like, I'm going to finally enjoy the fruits of my labor and my kids. And it was taken away so fast that I think a lot of us got a wake-up call about working too hard, ignoring priorities. I don't think he ignored his priorities, but I think if you if he could go back in time, he might have retired a little bit earlier, you know, spent a little bit more time with his kids. And if you know when the clock is going to stop, I think he would have quit a decade ago. You know, he would have just said, it's enough basketball. I love it, but I got kids now. I mean, there's a whole lot of things I'm sure he would have done differently based on the conversation that I had with him on the Jordan Harbinger show. So it is particularly sad and shocking. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Jordan Harbinger, you are a class act. Thank you so much for being with us today. And I hope we could do this in uh, part two in person sometime. Yeah, that would be fun when we're allowed out of our homes. <laughs> you know, uh, we can do it in person and we can uh, drink a beer instead of a sparkling water in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> Let's do it. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. And we'll be, oh, real quick, anything new that you want to tell us about what's coming up? Anything? Oh. So I do the Jordan Harbinger show. It's a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm also sometimes on YouTube. Uh, I do more audio than video, but if people are looking for that networking course, it's six minute networking. It's at jordanharbinger.com slash course, but please just check out the Jordan Harbinger show. I don't have anything to sell you other than great ideas and they're uh, free. They just, well, they cost your attention, but you know, no cash up front. How's that? And thanks so much for what you do. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review, as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one -on -one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy, where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we could help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you.